this podcast is we're going to break it down into six different principles, one similar to the ones that you've written in your book, Selena. Um, so today's episode is going to focus on really, you know, understanding your brain, getting to know your brain, you say. So we've been talking about some of the, the brain parts, you know, the, the cortices. So why don't you uh, say a little bit more about maybe the thinker, the Miggy, and your, your little nicknames for him. Yeah, so the first principles, why this kind of matters, why getting to know your brain matters, is because it's like any knowledge, it raises all boats. So like when you're working out and moving your muscles in your arms, it's just helpful to know that that's what you're doing. And I found that in terms of the brain, very few people understand that they can train their brain like they can train a muscle in their body. Mm-hmm. For some reason, we've kind of moved it outside that realm. So I, I formulated it into something really simple, meaning the three parts of the brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm not meaning to downplay the complexity. I'm just trying to make it simple so anyone can just recognize that. And so... It really started over a really long period of time and that's because where we started from in the very beginning is really bacteria and the way the bacteria talk to each other kind of goes across like a biofilm and the the way they talk to each other, they use these little chemicals and we use similar chemicals inside our brain to talk to it, to talk, you know, the way the neurons are talking to each other uses similar chemicals. Mm -hmm. So that's how old our nervous system is Mm -hmm. right back over millions of years now why does that matter it's because it's so old it's so hardwired this old part of the brain is and it kind of takes over the things that are newest in our brain the prefrontal cortex Mm. so the three parts are evolving up from the spinal cord into the brainstem area which is always on scout looking out for stuff Mm -hmm into the limbic emotional playground that we like to call it Mm -hmm. that then interacts with the human part of the brain which is the thinking more rational part of the brain Mm -hmm. these parts are always working together so i don't want anyone to go away and think that this is all separate they're interacting together but why i called it miggy is not to be you know like really play it down it's just that it's that old And it's that important Mm -hmm. that it rules people's lives. Mm -hmm. And that's because its whole design was to keep us safe and alive. And many, many, many centuries ago, this part of the brain played a key role. Even I can take you back to plants and mushrooms uh, to keep us from being eaten by other animals or by other things. So that's why it has three main responses and I'm not going into the very specific details of that part of the brain, but we are a sensing being. Mm. So what, we can't, what we're always doing is sensing our environment. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing the minute we wake up. So we have the big five senses, and we're seeing things, smelling things, and this is all being processed by the brain. Mm-hmm. Now, what's its primary job? Keep you alive. And it's done a great job, right? You're sitting here with me in this podcast, uh, asking all these questions, wondering about why you're here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many other animals are doing that, wondering why they're here and what their purpose is. Mm-hmm. But we do that. But within us, we still have that strong animal instinct, and that is to find food, 
to not be eaten alive and to reproduce. Mm, interesting. Reminds me of the you know like Victor Frankel. You read the book? Yes, you know, the meat. Eating. Absolutely. And it's like his school of thought is that you can you find your meaning is actually where you like when you remove anxiety from your life comes from a search for meaning. Yes. And I think that's also fascinating. So asking those questions like, anxiety can actually be good. Mm. It's not all bad. Yeah. No, there's some people that are like, you could say that creative genius maybe comes from anxieties. And and amazing artistic creative talent. Yeah. A lot of them are suffering. Yeah. So would you say that it's... um, like what causes these anxieties? Is it, you know, this connection is very simple. So is it the complexity that's causing the, the anxieties? So basically, this is the part I love mm-hmm. and why we're here today is over these millions of years, right? So we mentioned bacteria, then mushrooms, then plants, then animals, and wild animals up to humans, mm-hmm. right? So that means you and I, even though we're quite different, we've come from some similarity in place. But you and I have no idea what that place is. Mm-hmm. That's pre-wired into your brain when you're born. Sure. Right? So your level of triggering, reaction, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, that wiring in that part of the brain is completely different from mine. Mm-hmm. So what triggers you, that triggers me, is completely different. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So if I ask you, Jeremy, to go back two generations, go back to your grandfather, do you know what triggered him? No, could make guesses, but no. Exactly. Now then go back to his grandfather. But you have some of those in you already, but we don't know what they are. So is that why you talk about rewriting your brain story? Absolutely. Because, okay, so I just took you back four generations. You couldn't tell me more than two. Mm. No. So what the hell are we doing? We're living in stories that were created, and it's not anything to do with us. Um, it becomes our story because we're told it. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, the beauty comes in rewriting your story because then you can change it for the future. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to live in those old anxieties, mm-hmm. really, because it is brain wiring. Mm-hmm. So do you think that it's you know part in part due to these books that are coming out you know recently and the, all these studies you know from scientists, anthropologists that are going back to the origins of humanity and they're saying this is how we were once lived so maybe you should eat this way or maybe you should exercise this way maybe you should try these habits yeah and i think that's part of it i also think it's part of our ability to see inside the brain i think Mm -hmm. it's part of our ability to sequence the genome Mm -hmm. completely Mm -hmm. and see how alike we are to like going back over history it's also we can now map around the genes, the epigenome. Right. But we now have evidence just this year. It's not even the basic blueprint of your genetics and the experiences that change the way your genes are expressed. We also now know some of your memories can be inherited from two generations ago mm. through maybe microRNAs. Mm-hmm. That's just all happening now. Yeah. There's also evidence now that I can teach you something right now, Jeremy, that's going to change something for your children. Right, mm-hmm. And even if you've already had children, you can apply something now that can change the trajectory for their children. Mm-hmm. So is that to say that with something like 
you know, Migia and, you know, the platforms that you're working on, that we can remove stresses, not entirely remove them, but we can mitigate stressors from future generations with things that we do today. Yeah, so I'm, and, and like, I, I would go one step further. I would say that it's not we're mitigating stresses. We're mitigating, we're rewiring the way your brain handles stress. So that's Absolutely. even more powerful. Yeah. Well, because once you understand that your brain's been pre-wired in this way, now I know that you do meditation, right? What are you doing then? What, what's happening inside your brain when you're meditating? You're actually starting to calm down. Miggy, did your grandfather do meditation? I doubt it. Right? So the brain of the child that you end up having is going to have a different set of epigenetic uh, factors from your meditation. Mm -hmm. So for, for anyone listening, you know, we're throwing around words like uh, epigenetics yeah. and, and genetics and you know, RNA and whatnot. And so we'll go into a little more detail on what that, those actually mean in little the bite-sized episodes we have. But you know, just for listening right now, the epigenetics, uh, how, would, how would you describe epigenetics? So epigenetics is... Uh, so the day you're born, you're born with blueprint mm -hmm. that you inherited. Epigenetics is the things that are happening ar around your environment, mm -hmm. either socially or what your parents are eating or you're eating, that are then changing the way, not the genes themselves, mm -hmm. but the way they're expressed, meaning the things, the proteins that it, they get turned into mm -hmm. to create things like... Um, your nervous system. So it's kind of like you're playing Scrabble and your tiles, that's your genetics, the ones you're dealt. And then the board game itself, you know, all the, the words already there is like epigenetics. Yeah. And then maybe you play into that epigenetics. Yeah, exactly. So we were talking about Epicurean, like the ability to bring in lots of different ingredients mm -hmm. that create your brain. Is very, so like, for instance, you might like working out and you like certain types of food. Mm -hmm. I like a different set of um, working out and different set of food. Mm -hmm. That's causing different effects in our epigenetics. Mm -hmm. So is it important for people to kind of like assess and figure out what it is that, you know, helps them their, mitigate their stress? Yes. And maybe what's, you know, you could mitigate stress by, uh, you know, eating a piece of chocolate, yes. like we've said, or... Going on a walk. Yes, going on a walk in nature particularly is a, mm -hmm. is a good example because the truth is, Jeremy, we're not changing stress, mm -hmm. right? We're not getting rid of stresses. Mm -hmm. In fact, if there's anything, and I think everyone would agree with me, these are going up in the world. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to be going out there squashing that one, then we'll be fine. We're going to squash that one, then we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. No, what we're talking about is how do we get your brain to handle them in a different way? Mm -hmm so that you are in control of how you react to them mm -hmm. rather than the brain being in control. Mm -hmm. Because what we're saying here is the brain's come in pre-wired over multiple generations. Mm -hmm. So it, we don't even know how it's actually handling them. So what we have to do is teach people that that's how the brain works mm -hmm. so that the people can learn how to respond, not react. So because this part of the brain, it's, it's activated by these triggers in milli, milli, milliseconds. It's before you're consciously aware of them. They're subconscious reactions. Right. 
that you that were learnt by you up till now, but also your parents and your aunties and your uncles and that's what I'm saying. We can go back a long way, and each of them learned how to handle things in a certain way that you kind of got part of. Mm-hmm. So, what you're doing now is you're saying, "Hey, that doesn't really work for me, so I'm going to go and try this." And now mm-hmm. that seems to work for me. Mm-hmm. Right. But what, so, what would you say to someone who is, um, you know, not everyone, not everyone's going to go out and hike in nature. Not everyone can go out and hike in nature. Yeah. You know, so, if you're living in the middle of New York City, yeah. you know, it's uh, you, you have all these food temptations around, and you have uh, you know so many people. Maybe you lash out in a relationship, but I think you know you can find like maybe it's going to a movie or like reading a book or or, well, or like a tracing or art yeah. exercise. So, or, for instance, right this second, just to demonstrate this, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to sit back and push your shoulders back, and then take a deep breath. I love when you do that. Yeah, it feels so good. It does. Yeah, and imagine if you just did that all the time during mm-hmm. the day when you're starting to feel something, mm-hmm. and it's not a. So what's happening? Okay, why why did that work? Right, there's a there's research to demonstrate that um, you improve your confidence, your feeling of confidence because why? Mm-hmm. It's the dominant part of the animal mm-hmm. kingdom. You're opening yourself up. So mm-hmm. what's the dominant animal look like? open sure and what if now i get you to close your arms and bend down like that and many people do this in meetings because they're afraid or mm-hmm. they want to go to the lower position immediately you feel more stressed mm-hmm. and that's because that is the lower position right. in the animal hierarchy so just by knowing that it's not just to do it for fun you actually are changing the way your brain's reacting to stress. Mm, now, yeah, and then I say to people that I talk to or give talks to, I say, now just go and do that for them every day for the next 28 days. Mm-hmm. And now if you can't remember to do that every day for the next 28 days, how are you meant to change your life? Mm. As a small example. Yeah, but it can be hard, you know, people, especially, you know, if we go back to living in a big city, you know, there's so much stimulation and so much distraction all the time that's keeping you from remembering because you just need to remember you know to take a deep breath yeah and lean back yeah well but that's because we've done a very poor job at translating this knowledge into the hands of people so that they understand that they can control the way stress is wiring their brain Mm -hmm. in fact it's like you now know you should exercise whereas Mm -hmm. my generation didn't get told that we all used to smoke Mm -hmm. cigarettes Mm-hmm. If you could believe that, right? I mean, I know we're smoking other things now, but back then, no one, everyone thinks smoking cigarettes is really bad now, right? Right? Yeah. And so now we don't teach anyone that they should push their shoulders back because it's going to help them feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's why you know things like, you know, like calm and headspace, exactly, and, and make fit. You know, yeah. These things can provide a, a really important resource. You know these devices we have a friend of mine said this um you know these the iphone you know it's not meant for entertainment it's meant to be a tool right so if we can use these things as a tool to augment us to make us better happier yeah then that's where we can handle the stimulation yeah and then that's how we get back empathy and compassion Mm -hmm. for our fellow human beings as well because Mm -hmm. if we're all stressed out as I, we already talked about, it shuts down the prefrontal cortex so you can't think clearly. But also yeah. what else is up there? 
empathy and compassion. Yeah. That's and how do we know that? Well, because we've imaged the the brains of monks that have been meditating for forty thousand hours, and we know we can expand that part of the brain, which is where empathy and compassion sits. Yeah. And we can shrink down the activity in this old emotional part of the brain, mm-hmm. where they don't become, they don't really react to fear. Yeah. So, so here's a question, you know, at least in my family personally, yeah. I know that there's a lot of like uh, anxieties, you know, yeah. that that ride underneath everything. Yeah. And so for anyone listening that has these, you know, most of us have these idiosyncrasies and stressors in our lives. So what what causes that and what can we do to change that moving forward? Yeah, so well, I think that's just, I've, I, I think of it as a word that labels just what we're talking about. Mm. So what if I just said to you, if you didn't think of it as anxieties, but you just thought of it as blame your brain because mm. it's just Mickey wiring mm-hmm. over generations... Mm-hmm. So can I just teach you to just blame your brain and start to let it go? Mm-hmm. Well, it's easier said than done. It is, but with like everything, when you start training your muscles when you're working out, mm-hmm. that's really hard in the beginning to keep going back and doing it. Yeah. And most people stop after two weeks, like a New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. But if you know that with pop, with you know training, this can actually be rewired, but not just for you, but for your children. Mm-hmm. That's quite powerful. No one's ever been taught to blame their brain. Mm. We're so used to labeling it, it's our problem, this and that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I actually believe that it's a key step in the revolution underway. Mm-hmm. And so uh, do you think that it's uh, slowly like we have to just chip away at these things over time? Absolutely. It's knowledge raises all boats. Mm. Without knowledge, will just keep operating in the same sphere. Mm-hmm. And I see that. I see it for myself. I see it for my daughter. I see it for... Uh, you know, I, same thing, right? Because how did I become a neuroscientist? Because mm-hmm. of my sister's mental health struggle with schizophrenia, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I now understand, and we haven't gone into this other element, which I'd like to spend a whole session on, which yeah. is adverse childhood experiences, because that explains everything to me as a neuroscientist. Yeah. Um, so what we're trying to say, Jeremy, is that we always look at the outcome, like we're struggling with this and that, or we're addicted to this and that, when the actual root root cause is just brain wiring over millions of years. Yeah. And stuff we can't even get a handle on, and we will never be able to unpack it. Mm-hmm. So why bother? Right. Well, in some sense. Yeah. And that, that actually reminds me of... Uh, so I mentioned you know, my family history yeah, a little yeah. bit. And so my cousin, she's... But absolutely brilliant, you know, like going to UPenn, you know, going to college, and that's a tough step in, it, in itself. And she was really struggling with, you know, she lived in Brooklyn her whole life and wanted to take this next step. But when she went to that college, you know, it was it was crippling, you know, being away from those people that provide compassion and, you know, connection and empathy. Support. And support. And I know over time... You know, her parents would go out and visit her and stay there for periods of time. And she slowly was more and more able to deal with her, you know, panic attacks. Absolutely. And it's so funny that you should bring that up because my daughter, too, applying for colleges, and she just mentioned the same word to me. And I'm Mm. like, oh, my goodness. Like, why are we putting so much pressure on these young brains? Mm. So between the ages of 10 and 17, there's a massive 
brain change that's happening there called neuroplasticity, the window opens again. Mm -hmm. And we call it the brain becomes on fire. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you want to be with your peers more than your parents. Mm -hmm. So one of these crucial things as parents is that we've got to let out a leash to our children so they can go into the world while they're still at home to explore the world so they can build the courage and the brain strength and resilience so that when they are away from the nest, mm -hmm. then they can cope better. That's a whole episode in itself. It's a huge, this is massive to me, mm -hmm. massive, because I, I see children here uh, um, older than they need to be on one element and then way younger than they need to be on the emotional element. Sure. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Sure. It's called, I almost called it disabling. Mm. Um, and it's because the, there's, there's this window in the adolescent brain life where they're given massive pressure to get into a certain college or to be a certain thing very rapidly. Mm. Um, whereas the brain's still developing for boys up until they're 25 and for girls up until they're 23. So we're actually fiddling around with their brain plasticity by applying... And it's not everyone, of course. It's certain segments. We're applying a lot of pressure mm. when the brain's still developing. Mm -hmm. And what did I say to you about how stress is going? So stress goes into the brain faster than pleasure and happiness. Mm -hmm. And so when you're an adolescent brain and now you have all of this additional stress and no one's showing them how to handle it, can you see what's going to happen? Yeah. It's yeah. so obvious. That's really interesting. I, I've never really thought of it in this way before, but... So I actually transferred my first year of college, and it was uh, definitely a soup of, of different things. You know, I thought maybe the school wasn't, uh, you know, it was what was making me unhappy. You know, I was playing college baseball and trying to do that, and it was just so much pressure, so much pressure, and, you know, really interested in all, like, the courses and stuff. And that's, for me, like, that was what I really got out of college, was, like, actually, you know, learning, because it's something that I enjoy yeah. right but all those added pressures you know being a social animal and you know being an athlete it's there's a lot of stuff going on yeah but at the same time though like people knock college because it's very expensive and you know people don't go say you don't really need to go to school anymore but I, it's I think there's and I, I, she's shaking her head I do not agree there's with that. maybe no more Individual, no more important, no individuating step in your life than going to college, and you're learning how to be an adult. Like you're learning how to operate in the world by yourself. I'm with you all the way on this, Jeremy. And I, I and I come from an Australian background mm -hmm. where people still stay at home and go to university mostly because mm -hmm. there's no dormitories hardly. Mm -hmm. But I've actually come completely the other way over to the American system mm -hmm. because that's what I see too. That college experience where people have to go into the dorm for that first year, I think, is incredibly good mm. because people get to meet people they wouldn't have met. They're outside their old norm dorm situation mm -hmm. or at home situation, and they have to learn to meet new people. Mm -hmm. That's so important for life. Mm -hmm. What else do we do with our life but have to meet people right. and learn how to do that? And then you've got to navigate feeding yourself and... Uh, getting to classes on time yourself and getting your homework done yourself and having no one there saying you're not allowed to do that mm -hmm. right yeah. you have to self-regulate right how could you survive in New York City if you haven't lived in 
and learned I have well some people don't mm. they end up dying there yeah I mean we know that I mean and it's just there's stressors you know that it's good preparation for yeah and can I just tell you a little quick story on something like this which sure. I think kind of speaks to the topic is that I heard from a professor that I know she was in a meeting with someone mm -hmm. and the phone rang and it was this woman's daughter calling to get her to book her airline tickets mm -hmm. and this woman that the daughter that was calling was 29 years old <laughs> yeah I do that still <laughs> thanks mom <laughs> I mean it's what, what would you say to you know the the topic of you know people are staying home and living at home longer I mean there are certain there are countries like you know the Spanish they live at home for a long time, and they're some of the happiest people in the world. Sure, they have sun every day. Yeah. España yeah. is perfect. It is. But, yeah. you know, what, what, how, how do we kind of cultivate that in, uh, you know, Western you know, America? Yeah, well, Australia's halfway Australia. between mm -hmm. Spain and America. People stay at home way longer. Mm -hmm. um, it's a difficult question for me. To answer directly mm -hmm. because I see the family unit being stronger in mm -hmm. those countries mm -hmm. and people here get separated from their family really quickly mm -hmm. um, I feel like it could be a combination of both yeah. somehow um, I really really like watching uh, this college step for the children mm -hmm. I I really do. I never used to because mm. <laughs> I'm an Australian too and I used to see that was really good but now I'm here and my kids are going to college too. Mm. I don't know. There's just something very powerful about that. Yeah. I mean, but well, not all of them can make it, of course. Sure. You know, it, it is a hard step. Even, it's not even like making it. It's just like, just like Surviving going out the experience. into yeah. nature might make me happy, yeah. might make, you know, uh, some people in Berkeley happy but it's it's whatever is your like genes have told you to be you know so like you might not need to be a college student maybe you really needed to go out into the city you know maybe you need to go live out on your own and that's where you learn you know with a different age group of people you know all different because college is kind of compressed yeah so I think you know I guess the take home there is just like exposure to these things maybe slowly and like deliberately yeah but not so much like it would be wonderful if we didn't have to put so much pressure on the kids so young mm -hmm. i really would love to see if if, if there's any nostalgia in me mm -hmm. for for your generation and your kids generation my grandchildren mm -hmm. would be to see some retro fitting to let the kids still play for as long as possible sure because we're adults for a long time and especially because we're living longer so if there's anything I'd love to see, that college thing where people now are getting prepped at three years old into preschools and et cetera, I, I just don't see any advantages to that. Mm -hmm. I would actually like to see the opposite happen mm -hmm. because I know play is really good for brain activity and creativity mm -hmm. and, and for socialization and for less anxious kids, less ADHD, less bipolar, less addiction. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So if if there's anything I would like to see is that zero to three age group and then ten to fourteen, that should be sacrosanct mm -hmm. for children to be children. Mm -hmm. There should be no mention of Harvard or 
this high school, that high, it just shouldn't exist in my, in at least for the kids. The mm-hmm. parents can do whatever they like, but for the kids, they should have no concept mm-hmm. that that matters. Yeah, there's a there's a really great quote that I like from from an artist, and he says um, something along the lines of, "Some people want to be a mistress, some people want to be a professor, some people want to be a parent, but I just want to be a child forever." Because it's where we're most free, right? And you get to just play and have a good time and yeah. enjoy yourself. Yeah, and I feel like that's missing mm-hmm. for my children. Well, they got a bit lucky because I'm not like that yeah. pressure cooker person. Mm-hmm. But I see it in their friends and the helicopter. You know, like we see it in the university system where some of the parents are coming to classes. Or in one case, I've heard of a parent going to a job interview after college wow. with their kids, and the people in the in the um, company was so upset they made them come along to the yeah. to the introductory day mm-hmm. so so uh, but but i mean it's true like people have these interactions a lot and those tendencies and so for someone you know a parent listening to this or or you know a, a young kid who has parents like that you know what what can we like how how will make fit how will this help you know how can we move towards you know a society that's like less pressure and more you know freedom oriented well the way i always start this is i get the people the parents first to recognize their own anxiety mm-hmm. and well, i don't like using that word but it's more that they don't understand mm-hmm. what why they're applying this they're passing it to their children because it was given to them mm-hmm. so we have to break that cycle mm-hmm. so that's the thing is we don't understand that what we learnt from our parents was given to us. Mm. And then we're applying it on. We're not questioning it. Mm-hmm. So we have to start there. Because otherwise, it, how do you break it? Right. You can't. No, you can't. But then what I recognise is that the way we look, the way we feel, is a reflection of our brain health. Mm-hmm. And, so, and everyone wants to feel better, look better. And so when you, as a parent, are feeling good about yourself... It's just easier to be a better parent. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I start. Because mm-hmm. you can't break, you can't change what people are doing mm-hmm. other than to raise recognition, awareness and education. Mm-hmm. Because I know parents love their children. Mm-hmm. They adore their children, they really do. But they don't want to harm their children. And they just don't understand that this can harm their children. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm here to do, is to help people understand that your love can sometimes be harm. Yeah. That's beautiful.